Welcome into the Off the Post podcast. I'm Nick Devoy. I'm with my co-host Lucas Tashi. Today, we're going to be recapping the group stages of the World Cup. We're going to be going through some advancements and some changes that FIFA did for the games. And then we're going to get into the round of 16 bracket, how it's going to shape out for the rest of the tournament and any potential bets that we may want to hit on. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Up street! Up street! Up street! Let's go! All right, Lucas, we're getting through the last round of games just now, and your boys are in. Dude, uh, I don't even know if I can do this podcast right now. I'm literally like, I'm still, uh, I sent I sent you a screenshot or Snapchat, maybe. I don't know who I sent it to. I was literally gone for half the game. In terms of my mind, like, I was all over the place. I sent my wife a text. I'm like, I'm going to commit suicide. I'm literally on suicide watch at 2.40. And then five minutes later... Mbolo scores. Uh, this whole World Cup has just been ups and downs. Everything has been a roller coaster, dude. Like, insane. But let me just take a deep breath. Let me, like, be composed so I can just talk and get into my analysis, analyst mindset. Because, dude, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> Netherlands and Senegal are through. England and the U.S. are through. And then we have Argentina and Poland going through. France and Australia, which, you know, we did not predict Australia to go through at all. So they're both in Japan and Spain with Japan winning the group. And then Morocco also winning the group in Group F and Croatia going runner up, which means that Belgium and Canada are out. And then we have Brazil winning uh, the group, even though they lost today to Cameroon. And then Switzerland yeah. going in second place, too. So Switzerland will play Portugal, who won Group H. And then South Korea, in last-minute fashion, snatching that second spot with uh, the goal in stoppage time, basically. So South Korea goes through over Uruguay, and yeah. they're going to be playing Brazil, which amazing. I mean, amazing. literally amazing. Um, they were blessed with the opportunity to play Brazil after Brazil is coming off a loss. Uh, again, they played their quote-unquote B team. They don't really have a B team. They weren't on par, really, at the at the game today. But South Korea, second place, they are blessed with the opportunity to play Brazil. And, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but it seems like it's going to be a Brazil-Argentina uh, semifinals. That's what it, it's shaping out to be if there aren't any surprises. But this whole World Cup has been full of surprises, Nick. I know you ran ran through each of the groups quickly, but I think we need to dive into each one specifically. We can like the, some of the groups we can go by a lot quicker, especially if uh, we had forecasted, predicted this would happen. Um, especially jumping straight into it, Group A and Group B. I think spot on with how we predicted. Uh, maybe with Iran. Sorry, there's controversy there. Uh, with Iran finishing third and Wales finishing fourth. But other than that, we did predict Netherlands uh, and Senegal to go through, and we predicted England and the U.S. to go through as well in that specific order. So, I mean, those two uh, groups were pretty straightforward. But again, there there was some controversy at the end, too. There were some tight games with the USA facing Iran. Uh, they won 1-0 in that final matchup. But, Nick, uh, with these two groups specifically, is there anything that you wanted to point out? Any matches? Any stars of the tournament? 
Yeah, for sure. I think I think Cody Gakbo uh, has been one of the players in the tournament so far. He's been astonishing. I mean, Netherlands, in my opinion, if you've watched all the games, which we for the most part have, they've been kind of underwhelming in terms of how they've performed. I know their points total and they them finishing top of the group says otherwise. But if you look at the games, to me, it seems like they can definitely be had by the United States team. And I think that you know, Gakpo has been easily their best player. Senegal going through as well is something that we predicted, even with Sadio Mane being out of the World Cup. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of talent there, but when it comes to them playing England, I think England is going to go through just because of the overwhelming talent. The United States, and we'll get into them probably more so than any other team, I feel like they have always started off well, and then they have completely completely lost it in the second half along with the substitutions that are made barring the england game right the england game they were great all throughout the full 90 right but in the iran game or, or the iran game and the game against wales they fell off completely in the second half and i don't know if that's just because of the nerves that are settling in and everything or you know how the subs are made. I, I for sure Shaq Moore cannot play a single minute for the rest of this tournament. hundred percent. Zimmerman was going that way until he redeemed himself slightly in the the last game. Uh, but Shaq Moore, Haji Wright, they should not be playing. You know we need to be playing Joe Scally or DeAndre Yedlin and those yeah. spots. You also need to be playing you know other players besides Aronson, who is quality, right? But where's Gio Reyna? That's another thing that I think is, uh, you know, a topic that people have been wondering about throughout the entire tournament is why is he not playing when he's clearly, or in my opinion, our most talented player? You know, there has to be minutes for him, and I'm sure he would contribute way more than the players that Burhalter has been subbing on recently. Yeah, no, I talked to somebody about this, uh, Alex and Matt, um, and the way that I see Greg Burhalter right now is. He's a great, uh, I wouldn't say great. He's a good manager when it comes to tactics and strategy and getting the team started. But his game management is so subpar that has, it has almost cost them every single game. Especially, except for the England game. But in the Iran game, he nearly cost them the game. Because if you take a look at some of the other matchups that teams needed to essentially just they were up one one goal and they needed to just control the game. The the tra- uh, the substitutes that have come in weren't literally just center backs and just staying back. They were midfielders. They were attackers that they can take the ball up and then hold the ball in that attacking third. Because if you're in that attacking third, the other team is not going to be dangerous. So I think Greg Berhalter is really, really good when it comes to setting his team up for a strong start, but then at halftime, his mid-game adjustments are not really good. Uh, going back to what you said with the Netherlands, yeah, really, really underwhelming tournament, but still they ended up with seven points thanks to Cody Gakpo, as you mentioned. He has been unbelievable. He is going to be similar to how James Rodriguez was back in 2014, uh, similar to how Memphis Depay was in 2014. Like, he's going to be one of these uh, young, talented players that's going to get a big money move after this World Cup. He's truly amazing. Uh, If it wasn't for him, I think Netherlands probably would, 
I would say Ecuador would have beat them. I would say Senegal would have been a lot tighter uh, because he had the game-winning goal in the 80-something minute against Senegal. Uh, he really is a fantastic uh, striker, winger, attacker, whatever you call him, because he is so versatile. He can play in any formation. He can play in any position that attacking front three uh, that he really wants to. He has played even behind Memphis Depay in that 10 role too. So without him, really, really good stuff for uh, for the Netherlands. I mean, they're going to have the U.S. It's going to be a gritty, gritty battle. And it's going to be very tough for the U.S. to be able to hold the ball because the Dutch do have really strong midfielders. But the U.S., I would say, is better. I agree. That would be my hot take. The U.S. midfield is better than the Netherlands midfield. Especially if the rumors of Frankie de Jong having the flu are confirmed. Because as of now, he's potentially going to miss the Netherlands and the USA game due to the flu. And if that's the case, Tyler Adams, Musa, Weston McKinney are just going to boss that midfield, dude. But with the U.S., their thing is and, and has always been... They're strikers. Can they finish? Which, at the moment, I don't know. Yeah, I would prefer to play without a striker. I would prefer to go false nine, uh, in my opinion, with Reyna, Pulisic, and then, you know, either Way or Aronson. uh, You know what I mean? Because at that point, you might as well just lean into your strength, which is clearly their midfield, and just go with your midfielder to have that space to run. Uh, I totally agree with you. I think the fact that the U.S. basically choked England's midfield out with their midfield shows exactly the place that they're in. It's a huge advantage for them defensively. They're very sound as well. You know, they've only conceded one goal all tournament, which is uh, essentially tied for for the least, right? There's a lot of teams that have only conceded one goal so far, but the U.S. is also one of them, right? And I think their issue is scoring uh, 100%. They can't score right now to to help themselves, and, and that's why I think when they come up against Netherlands, it's going to be a relatively low-scoring game. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I think if you're looking at these two groups, right, Group A, I think we both agree Cody Gakpo is the star of that group. Yeah. And then for Group B, I'd have to say Tyler Adams, in my opinion, is the star yeah. of that group, right? Uh, Eunice Munsa. Go ahead. Explain uh, your rationale, and then I'll, I'll throw in another name. No, of course. I was going to say Musa as well, but I just think that uh, I think with Adams, he's just everywhere. His positional is so sound. His fitness is incredible. You know, Weston McKinney gets subbed off around the 60-something minute because of the amount of running that he's putting on with his legs. But Tyler Adams does that, and then he goes another 30 to full time. And it shows uh, it shows how good he is with leads as well, because we were talking about how he's been very impressive with them. Yeah. And it's rolled over. And positionally as well with Dest, right? As Dest goes up, Adams fills into that right back position because he can also play as a right back. So when Dest is up, they, the United States doesn't have to worry about falling back because of Adams' ability to cover that spot so well. And the th- that combination of Dest moving up and Adams sliding in or Adams playing into the pivot while Dest is up it, it makes it by far the U.S.'s like strongest attacking position, essentially. And that's why I think Adams has been the star of the group. 
That's fair. Um, I just want to call out two names in each group. The first name in Group A, Enter Valencia. If it wasn't for him, uh, Ecuador would not be in the position that they were. They surprised a lot of teams. He he was very, very important for them, scoring three goals uh, and really, I mean, bringing them to the last second. Up until that last game against Senegal, I mean, they were drawing 1-1, one, uh, and still it could have gone either way. Uh, Senegal ended up getting that deciding goal uh, with Koulibaly, but Enter Valencia really deserves a lot of credit. And uh, if it, this is his last tournament, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm not sure how old he is. If this is his last tournament, he went out as hard as possible. He is 33. And Ecuador don't always uh, qualify for the World Cup. He went out fighting. And you have to, you have to give credit to him. Um, and then for Group B, you have to give a lot of credit. And I hate to say this. It actually pains me so much to say this right now. Like, you really do not understand this, Nick. Harry Maguire and John Stones. Yeah. England's center back duo have been fantastic. Um, Despite the fact that they really, I mean, they faced the U.S., they stopped Wales. Wales was non-existent against them. Uh, They didn't let up any goals against the U.S., and they just looked in control. Yeah, they let up two goals against Iran, but that was when they started to just like, it was 5 nothing, 4 nothing, and they just started to chill. Uh, those two have been really, really good. I've seen memes that essentially Harry Maguire turns into prime Rio Ferdinand whenever he puts on that England jersey. Uh, he really has been a important player for them, and if he stays healthy... This team has a really good uh, run at it. But I would say England should advance against Senegal. They are definitely the more talented team. However, in their next round, they have they can potentially face France. So we'll talk about that. But there's one side of the group that is just shaping up to be... Or sorry, one side of the bracket that's just shaping up to be significantly tougher than the other side of the bracket. But it's going to be a very, very tough game. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. I also think that, you know, Maguire, if it wasn't for him, the U.S. probably wins that game, as crazy yeah. as that sounds. Uh, I just want to get into to Group C and D, since you alluded to, you know, England potentially having to play France, right? So we have Argentina going through on top, despite losing to Saudi Arabia. We have Poland finishing second, which uh, is incredible for them, right? There, I mean, you talk about not being able to score. Poland also cannot be is not able to score as well. Yeah. Uh, France goes through top of Group D, and then Australia is second. So I want to talk about I want to talk about the highlight for me. One of the highlights and sound bites of the tournament is the coach of Saudi Arabia at halftime that first game against Argentina with uh, all the stuff that he said. That speech, Lucas, I probably watched that speech at least like 10 to 15 times because of how good it is where he he uh, yells at his, def- uh, his attacker and he goes, you can take a picture of him if you want about Messi. And then and he uh, he yelled at him. He's like, you do not believe that we can do it? He's like, come on, guys. This is the World Cup. Give everything. And I was just... Totally sets that's your heart on fire. He said, that, "That's a clean version of what he said." Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
And it, when it, the cool part is when he was screaming, the translator for him was also screaming. So he had that passion with it too. It was incredible. Uh, Saudi Arabia, even though they finished bottom of the group, uh, incredible game to have be in Argentina like that. Really, really pushed them to the brink in this group as well because they had to win their last two to guarantee not facing France in the next stage, essentially. And uh, for me, I mean, Argentina, obviously Messi's been fantastic for them. Yeah. Right. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, we've talked about how much we don't like the decision of who they play for, for their center backs. We don't like Otamendi in there. You and I, I think both prefer having Lissandro Martinez and Romero. Uh, but I think, you know, they're going to end up going through, right? They're playing Australia, which is a great matchup for them. And I think it's safe to assume that they will end up playing the winner of Netherlands and the United States. Yep. But again, with that, anything in this tournament can happen. As we can see, Denmark in Group D finishing in fourth place, losing to Australia in match day three, which helps Australia get into that second uh, position. Um, yeah, again, like Australia really surprised a lot of teams. I mean, they even started out the tournament with a 1-0 lead against France before France just went and start like I, I don't want to curse went ape crap they just went nuts they were like why the hell is this team just absolutely beating us right now they should not be beating us Australia has been fighting for a lot and they they really deserve to finish this group in second place Denmark man such a disappointment such a disappointment I we we can talk so much about how this team is so talented they had such a great run in that Euros, and I think it just got to their head, and they didn't. Uh, they took Australia and Tunisia like nothing. Like, they literally took them like nothing. It was like, oh, we should be be able to beat these teams. And then Tunisia gets a draw against Denmark, and then Australia beats them 1-0. Like, it's just crazy. Uh, Australia 100% deserved to get uh, the six points that they got. Um, but then in the last match day... We're going to see uh, a trend here where teams who have qualified, they're going to bench their stars and they end up losing that last match day, which impacts the rest of the group. In this scenario, it did not necessarily impact the rest of the uh, the rest of the group, but we'll get into it later on. But I think France should easily advance uh, versus Poland. They are far superior it should be France versus England in the quarterfinals, which is going to be a juicy matchup, dude. Like, very, very juicy. Uh, and, I mean, based off what we're saying, you can hear which side of the bracket is going to be the tougher side to get to the final. Uh, as of now, it is the side with France and England. You're going to get into it later on uh, because there's there's been so many surprises in this World Cup of who finishes first, who finishes second, as Nick alluded to earlier. One thing I want to call out with Group C, Mexico, they were horrible. They were horrible, dude. Like, they had their chance to finish in second place, but even if they finished in second place, they did not deserve it. They looked horrendous in every single game. Yes, that last game, finally, Tata Martinez, uh, Tata Martino did something, but bro, like, this team is more talented what the, than what they actually are. Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, like 
uh, Edson uh, Alvarez. Like, these guys are really, really good players, and he's still sticking to the old dogs that he has, which is crazy to me. No, I agree with you. I think we had this conversation as well where we talked about Mexico, you know, for the most talent is is very overrated, especially with how they perform on a national level. I believe this is the first time in um, a lot of World Cups where they have not made it out of the group stage. And I have to double check, but it's been a very long time since they haven't made it out of the group. And I think... I just feel like this team uh, finished ahead of the United States in qualifying. You know, it's crazy to say this, but the U.S. is the only team from CONCACAF to make it through to the to the next stage with Canada and Costa Rica and Mexico also disappointing. You know, Mexico, looking at this group, they should have, you know, gone through, to be honest, in hindsight, because Poland has been, not been impressive either. They could have won that game. They're definitely more talented from top to bottom compared to Poland. And just very interesting to see how it ended up playing out for them. But I think they're going to end up having to redo a lot of things and make a lot of changes in order to to move forward with the team that they have. Unlike Canada, right, where Canada – and we'll get into this. This is a great, I think, segue. I want to say one more thing about Group C. But, yeah, uh, go ahead. What what are you going to say about Canada? No, I was just going to say Canada is young, right? And I know they didn't win a single game, but it kind of bodes well for them. The The view on Canada and their national team is more positive than Mexico's. And that's yeah. what I was going to say. Go ahead. Uh, quickly going back to Group C, Argentina, this is giving me 2010 vibes. Where, <laughs> And I told this to Nick. I'm like, Argentina lost their first game to Saudi Arabia. In, Sp- in 2010, Spain lost their first game to Switzerland. They went on to win the last two games. They finished the, the group in first. Argentina went on to finish their group in first. What did Spain go on to do? They went on to win the World Cup. I think this is reminiscent of 2010 with Argentina potentially having an easier run to get to the uh, semifinals, where, as we talked about, if they win, they will face the winner of Netherlands and or the USA which I think they should, should uh, advance. And then in the semifinals, they'll face Brazil, who we'll talk about later on, who just have an easy run, very easy run to get to the semifinals, uh, which should make for a very juicy semifinals. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but we'll, we'll see. All these surprises can happen. I just wanted to say 2010, Spain, 2022, Argentina. Yeah. Do you want to also get into the uh, the similarities between the last two squads that Argentina had to win the World Cup? Where in '78 and '84, oh. I believe they both ended up uh, missing a penalty in their last game in the group stages, and they both went on to to win the World Cup. In '78, it was Kempes, and then uh-huh. in '84, it was Maradona, and then now in 2014 or 2022. Sorry. It's uh, it's messy. Uh, we'll see, dude. Anything could happen, but the dominoes are falling for... What did I say back in September? That was my bet. I placed that bet back in September. It was plus 800. At the time, before we recorded the most recent World Cup preview, it was plus 550. I got it in before all those uh, front runners. But also, 2017, Lucas said Brazil. So I don't know what to believe right now. You know what I mean? It's just- Honestly, 2017, Lucas said Brazil. Oh, 
But, I mean, it bodes well that both Brazil and Argentina have a fairly easy way of getting to the World Cup. I mean, if this happens now and Brazil wins the World Cup, my 2026 one, 2017 Lucas, he said uh, 2026 Italy's going to win it. I'm putting my money on Italy right away. I think think it's safe to go into Group E and F now, right? So Japan finishing top of the group, beating Spain on the last match day. I mean... I have to I have to talk about this for, for a sec uh, because Germany also disappointed by finishing third. But there was a time in these two games, the last match day when Costa Rica and Germany were playing and Japan and Spain were playing, where both Germany and Spain were out for about two, three minutes. The world was in chaos. Right. And the bracket had completely opened up for for essentially Portugal and uh, for Brazil to go all the way to the semifinals directly. Right. And I think it's uh, it's absolutely incredible that Japan was able to go through despite choosing to rest half their team on the second match day against Germany, which to me was unbelievably a terrible decision. Even if they go through in hindsight, I think it's a horrible decision for them to, to end up doing that. And I am just impressed, right? They made up for it. I ended up eating my words. And for them to come back to in both of those games, to be one nothing down against Germany and, and in, against Spain and come back to win two one, just so impressive uh, for me. If they end up going one nothing down, then I'm gonna live bet them to win. I don't even care. <laughs> it is. Uh, so they do face Croatia, who I mean we'll get into, but they have been underwhelming too, except for that one game against Canada. Uh, they really haven't looked too too strong. But going back to Japan, they have a lot of heart. Uh, they really have a lot of heart. I mean, not a lot of these players are well known for the for the viewers back at home. Just a few of them are, but these players all play internationally. They all play in the Bundesliga. They play in the Premier League. They play in the Serie A. Like they're all international in Europe. Like they're very talented. But to have the the will to come back one nil against these super teams, essentially with Spain and Germany. And win 2-1, unbelievable. Unbelievable. But we have to talk about one of the biggest controversies in the game yesterday between Japan and Spain. I know me and you have argued about this. And I'm leaning towards, like, yeah, you just follow the technology, whatever the text says. But they have to, I, I think one thing that they have to do is explain why the decision was made. So what happened yesterday was... Japan scored their game-winning goal, and essentially the ball looked like it crossed the line. Or in the uh, viewer's eyes, in the human eyes, it looked like it crossed the line. However, when you take the circumference of the ball and when it's put up against the line of uh, the touchline, it's still in bounds. So Japan scored there. I would like... If the referees or somebody, FIFA, some organization provides a rationale, provides an explanation, they show that the ball is still in play or they ball, the ball is out of play. Similar to how they have goal line technology and similar to how they have the offside tech now, which, listen, it's not perfect, but it's technology and it works, right? It's Maybe it's off by like a centimeter, millimeter, whatever it may be. But it's still a work in progress, and I think they've taken the right steps. 
But I think they need more explanations as to why they're doing this or what they're doing. Um, again, I'm not taking away credit at all from Japan. They fully deserve to win this game. Even if they didn't score this uh, that goal, I thought they would have gone on to score another goal because Spain were just out of it. But I just wanted to bring that up. No, I think that's a good point. I think especially if you're someone who hasn't watched soccer as much or football as much and you're only tuning into the World Cup because you you want to experience the event. Uh, in a lot of sports, right, once the ball or the player touches the line essentially that's what's considered out of bounds is similar to basketball similar to uh, american football but in this instance for you know the world cup and any other event with you know football or, or soccer as we would say in the united states it's the whole the ball crossing the line so therefore as you stated the circumference is what matters and i think you're right, because normally with goal line technology, what they do is they show the actual yeah. point of when the ball crossed the line versus when it didn't, right? And I think if they incorporate something similar to, uh, to you know, the FIFA cameras that they have, then that would help a lot of those fans that we're not sure. Because if you're looking at the, the, the bottom of the ball, it's all surrounded by green. So naturally, you would think that the ball has crossed, right? But it's only with that bird's eye view that it actually matters where the whole of the ball has not yet crossed the line. But it was by millimeters, right? It was by millimeters. And for a split second when you sent me the picture, I thought it, I thought it was out until I like actually st- zoomed in and looked at where the ball was as it was touching the line. But uh, totally crazy that Japan was literally millimeters away from not making it at all to the, uh, through to the round of 16. And instead, they're in and, you know, their country has a chance to go on a little bit of a run, given the fact that they're playing Croatia next in Group F. Who, you in Group E, uh, was the standout player? Ooh. Okay, you have to say the midfield duo of Gavi and Pedri. I agree. Especially, yeah, Gavi, especially, like, 18 years old, coming into his first ever World Cup he doesn't fully start 100% of the games for Barcelona. He starts here and there, but he started every single game. Uh, granted, yesterday, he started. he's a vital point for that team. They're very, very talented. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I would say Germany, very underwhelming. Uh, I, I, you can't even name any names from Germany. Um, yeah, I think really it's going to come down to it because, to be honest, I, I don't foresee... Japan beating Croatia, despite how poor Croatia was uh, in the group stage. I think it's going to be uh, Gavi and Pedri's tournament to shine. And they showed that in that first game where they won 7-0 against Costa Rica. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, the crazy thing is when Costa Rica was winning against Germany, there was a, the thing that uh, I remember and Warren Borton made this point when he was doing commentary he was just like in shock in those two, three minutes. And he goes, they lost to Spain 7 nothing, And they <laughs> go through <laughs> over them, which is unbelievable to me, uh, with negative eight goal difference. So, listen, Costa Rica, that you have nothing to be ashamed of. I know that first game was very disappointing, but you fought well in the last two games. And, uh, you know, full credit to them. Germany, just as disappointing as the team we're going to be talking about Group F, which is Belgium as well. Just as disappointing. I mean, unbelievable for them. But you know who else has been impressive? Morocco. 
Group F, and unbeknownst to people, have a lot of world class players on their team. And you know they finished top, and Croatia finishes second. And listen, if you told me that Morocco is going to beat Spain, then I would believe you because they have been, in my opinion, uh, the better team throughout these first three games. Given even though Spain won seven nothing in the first game against Costa Rica, you can say that they've been disappointing since. And Morocco has been nothing but impressive. They really have. Hakim Ziyech, it's really, it's good that he's back with the Moroccan national team because there was a point where the manager didn't want him to be in the national team. Having him be that uh, playmaker for that uh, attacking line it has really been important. But also, Hakimi. Hakimi normally plays the, like a wing back, or right back for uh, PSG, but He's so talented that they've been able to move him up. They've been able to... He's literally all over the place. Like, he's really such a talented player. And I agree with you. They have really stood out this tournament. They've made a name for themselves. Like, I, I'm very impressed with them. Uh, going into uh, some tough matchups, too, with Croatia and Belgium. That first matchup with Croatia, a nil-nil draw, that's a great like result to have against Croatia in that first matchup because it's the first one you're still not fully like into the tournament right quite right yet you know so having that nil nil draw and then going and beating Belgium 2-0 like dude you're making a statement right there and then going on to uh beat Canada 2-1 again they probably deserve to win uh overall in the end uh, but Canada didn't have anything really to fight for. They were already eliminated at that moment, but they have fully deserved it. And I agree with you. If Morocco go on to beat Spain, which we've seen the rest of the tournament, anybody can beat anybody. If Morocco go on to beat Spain, I would not be surprised at all. And then uh, just to add on to what you were saying before, Morocco and, uh, you know, the the previous manager had an issue, and that's why Zayek wasn't, uh, wasn't getting called up and didn't want to participate. A lot of Moroccan players did not want to participate for the national team because of it. They ended up getting rid of their coach, hired a new manager this year, and, I mean, what a difference that has made for them to get all their talented players essentially back and playing. I looked through the, the number of players that they have called up. There's so many like world-class players, you know, playing for Bayern Munich and for Chelsea, you know, and it's just, it's just amazing to, to continue to see them perform. I've enjoyed watching them. Croatia, you know, they barely get through. And like you said, they haven't lost any games yet, but uh, they drew with an underwhelming Belgium side, right? They beat, uh, they beat Canada, but everyone beat Canada in that group and they, they performed really well, but that was basically their only goals from the tournament. You yeah. know, they, they beat Canada 4-1 and then they draw the rest of their other two games 0-0 each. And going into this match up with Japan, you know, I do favor Croatia, like you said, but Japan can definitely go through there. there there's no shock in Group E if and Group F if Morocco beats Spain and Japan beats Croatia, in my opinion. 100%. 100% agree with you. Especially given the fact that they could have and probably should have lost to Belgium had Belgium not missed four literally wide open sitters from Lukaku, who, I mean, sucks for him. You're a professional. You have to finish those. Like, uh, it's easier for me to say that he has to finish them. But, dude, you get one chance, all right, you can let it by two, whatever. But you get four chances to score and you don't score. 
that's on you. You're a striker. You're worth four, 300 million pounds, 300 million euros, whatever that may be. And you're paid to score those goals. It's really ridiculous. But we knew from the start, or rather from the second game on, that Belgium would not be the same Belgium. Like, right. they do not look good. I was having this argument with the with the Belgian person before the World Cup started. I'm like, you guys are not going to do well this tournament. They're not a strong team. They're not the same guys that they were four years ago. They're four years older. And it speaks to what Kevin De Bruyne has said. He's like, we're old now. We cannot win this World Cup, which that speaks to mentality, which I absolutely despise. Like, he should not have said that. You're one of the leaders of the team. Like, from there on, he said it before the second game, it's just been downhill. They ended up losing to Morocco. They ended up drawing to Croatia. They should have won, but they drew. And then they're out of the tournament. They're literally just done. And that's the last time we'll see that golden generation because I don't know if there's any young talent coming up for Belgium at the moment. Could be. Could be mistaken. But, yeah, this was just such an underwhelming tournament for for Belgium. Before we go into the Group G and Group Group H, uh, which I know you really want to, I want to speak to that as well because – I think, in my opinion, the worst managerial performance of this tournament has been uh, Roberto Martinez. And I think the decisions he made with his starting lineups were not good at all. And listen, I know we talked about there's a lot of young players still that need the opportunity to play, right? Timothy Mm -hmm. Castaneda playing as a left back, definitely worth it. But to start Vitamin and Alderweireld again, you know, they are two washed up center backs. And I think what face of Leicester City should have started. I think Arthur Teeth of uh, Wren should have started as well in, in place of those players because what you're doing is you're you're basically playing with older players that don't deserve to, to be in the squad anymore, and you had those two players that you could have played. You could have gotten, given them the younger experience. You could have started Tielemans, who's been amazing for Leicester City despite Leicester City's start to the season. He's been outstanding. Instead, you start Axel Witzel, who has no legs in him, you know, Tielemans with Onana in the midfield with De Bruyne up top makes it so much more solid than Witzel. And then also, I just want to say, you also choose not to to call up uh, Salamakers from Milan who could play as the right back along with the right winger. I mean, all these decisions that he's done, he is, in my opinion, uh, 90% responsible for Belgium not getting through. You know, you call up Hazard. Hazard honestly did not even deserve the call up either. If you want me to be totally honest with you, he's not been good for the past three, four years, and yet he's still playing. Should not should not have been in that squad. Batshuayi should have not been in that squad either. Uh, this is clearly the manager playing favorites with older heads who no longer deserve to start it. And I I know what you mean by De Bruyne uh, saying that. And I can see how, you know, Vertonghen took it as a shot at him. But I read it as a shot against the manager where he said, yeah. we're too, you know what I mean? We're too old, which means that the players that were picked were not the right selection because they were too old. And also the players that were starting are too old. This is, De, this is likely De Bruyne's last World Cup now. I mean, yeah. super disappointing for him. Uh, Lukaku, I feel for him. But again, also out of form. Uh, likely did not deserve to start. Trossard started. He should have played the entire game, in my opinion. I mean, he has been outstanding all season. And Doku as well. I mean, you yep. saw 
come on, he's 20 years old. He he would have been amazing too. There's so many different lineups that I looked at, even just based off the players that he called up, not not just forgotten that I could have made, you know, five or six definitely better and more youthful lineups than what he selected. So uh in my opinion, falls on Roberto Martinez, and I apologize for my rant, but uh, you can go ahead and talk to. No, I mean, all that to say that he's now fired. He stepped down as manager. Yeah. I don't think you called that out. So he's no longer the manager of Belgium. Um, so too late, yeah. in my opinion. But go ahead. Say that again. I said three years too late, in my opinion. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, who do you think will step in though? I mean, they've had Thierry Henry as the assistant manager at the moment. Maybe you have uh, Pochettino, potentially, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we can, like, table that for another discussion because there's not many options out there. They can just go with somebody random, like a, an actual true Belgian, uh, to be the manager. But one thing on Canada I want to say, they've already secured 2026 World Cup, given that they have, they're hosting it. They're one of the hosts. This team is going to be very good in that World Cup. Uh, they're going to mature, and they're going to improve. And as long as they stay healthy... This team could be very, very solid with uh, Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David as the core guys. Those guys are going to be leaders now. So really a team to look out for over the next four years uh, with them being uh, one of the main hosts in uh, 2026. Now, going back to 2022, Group G, dude. Oh my God, we just finished Group G. I, I, I literally, we started this podcast 30 minutes after the Switzerland game started, uh, Switzerland game ended. As you guys know, I'm Swiss, and this game literally, uh, uh, it was a roller coaster. I texted my wife, I was on suicide watch. I'm literally like just going all over the place. But in the end, Switzerland fully deserved to like finish in second or first. Like they had a chance to finish in first place too. With Brazil, that same theme where they rested their players and then they end up losing to Cameroon. Switzerland, had they scored one more goal and won four to two, which they had two, three chances at the end to do that, they would have finished in uh, first place and they would have been able to uh, face, who is it? Which we'll get to. All right, we'll get to Group H. They'll be able to face South Korea, which would have been a lot easier than facing Portugal. But Brazil, easily one of the most talented teams. And I think this is going back to the Brazil of 2002. If Neymar's healthy, this Brazil team is so much fun to watch. I was watching the game against Serbia, the game against Switzerland. This team is so good. It's going to come down to Neymar's health. He didn't play against Switzerland. They only beat Switzerland 1-0. He didn't play against Cameroon. They lost to Cameroon. They beat Serbia. He he was on for the two goals, but he is that heartbeat of that team. If he is not playing, it's not going to be the same Brazil team. I can see them losing in the quarterfinals to Croatia or Japan or losing to uh, Argentina in the semifinals if he's not playing. Or I can see what they're going to do is probably rest them for South Korea, thinking that they can uh, probably smoke by South Korea and then end up potentially losing. Uh, But at the end of the day, Group G, it comes down to Brazil and then the rest. Because today it all came down to Serbia, Switzerland, and uh, Cameroon. Cameroon got the job done. Four points. 
if Switzerland had lost or if Switzerland had drawn, Cameroon would have finished in second place. That was like up and down. It was crazy. I mean, we've seen that th throughout the entire tournament that like literally one goal shifts the entire group. And today, I mean, I think today went as expected, uh, except for obviously Brazil losing to Cameroon, but it went as expected with Serbia losing to Switzerland. Switzerland have been in cruise control. They've been a very talented side, and these guys have really matured. Your guy, man, Arsenal legend at this point, Granit Xhaka, he has matured so much, and he's not taking those useless fouls. He's not taking those useless red cards. He is becoming a player that he's turning into like a mini Mikel Arteta, right? Like, well, he's better. Whoa. He's better, better player than Arteta was. Yeah. I don't, okay. think, that's I don't think that's controversial. He's, he's better. Um, um, I think it's controversial in the aspect that Arteta did it for so much longer. And it, he did it at a at a higher level in terms of the Champions League, but I can I mean I won't deny it. I believe talent wise, Granit Xhaka is better than Arteta for sure. Uh, and we've talked about his growth over the last year. He's Arteta has turned him into a fantastic manager, and he's built that over to uh, the Swiss side. And I mean, besides him and Bolo. He is going to get snagged up, dude. He's such a good striker, so strong. The way that he holds up the ball is unbelievable. He has a six foot five guy behind him, and he's just bodying him, like holding the ball up, waiting for his guys to come. He has Vargas going down the, his right side, Shakiri going down his left side. Like he's able to distribute. He is going to be one of the keys for them to beat Portugal. But on the other side of things, Group H, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I enjoy that rant. Uh, <laughs> for Group G, I just want to say uh, Abubakar scoring that goal against Brazil, taking his shirt off, getting sent off for, with the second yellow, and then dapping up the referee as he walks off. Just incredible moment for him. I know that Cameroon ended up not making it, but... Uh, they were they were basically two goals away from from going through. Had the results held, or had Switzerland drawn, and had Switzerland lost, then you know you could have you could have made the argument that there was an opportunity there. I think uh, I think going into Group H, Portugal and South Korea. I mean, South Korea just incredible, incredible ending for them to get through on that goal by uh, I forget his name. It's it's uh, it's Chen. It, I think it's Huang Lee Chan from Wolverhampton Wanderers. I want to double check to confirm. But uh, Youngman Son assisted with a broken face, essentially. It fractured uh, eye socket, and he, he gets the assist to Huang Lee Chan, and uh, they end up scoring in stoppage time to, to beat uh, Portugal 2-1. Portugal resting most of their starters. Ronaldo getting subbed off early on in the 60th minute. Uh, I think think for South Korea, even though they're playing Brazil, this is an incredible result for them to go through. I know you talked about, you know, Brazil could potentially lose to them without Neymar. I just don't see that happening, even if Neymar chooses not to play or is unable to play due to his ankle. I, um, 
I feel really disappointed for Uruguay because I know for sure that they they had a stranglehold on that result and they were going to go through. And they're a team that could play well against Brazil for sure because they they are able to muck it up and to play defensively sound and they have attacking talent as well. But uh, don't feel bad for Luis Suarez at all. Feel really bad for Federico <laughs> Verde. And I think. Also, with Ghana, I think the amazing thing is that Ghana misses that penalty again against Uruguay when they're tied 0-0. They end up losing 2-0, but they get their revenge because they held Uruguay to basically two goals conceded the entire time. And therefore, it's South Korea that goes uh, through on the goals for tiebreaker. So... uh, Overall, I think Ghana gets their revenge, even though they also go down with Uruguay. I I think this is harsh for Ghana, if I'm being completely honest. Very, very harsh for Ghana. They beat South Korea. They uh, likely should have had a better result against Uruguay. And they they brought Portugal to their absolute limit. Like, it was a 3-2 exciting matchup against Portugal. And this team is very talented. They had a lot of good guys that for them to finish fourth in this group, it, it's very harsh. But uh, South Korea, man, what a story. Like, again, it, not the most talented, but they have the most heart. It's really unbelievable to see how uh, they've just taken it to all, like, every single team. And who knows what would have happened if Portugal hadn't secured the next round uh, today. Like, who knows? Maybe Portugal would have been full strength. They would have played all their starters, and they would have won easily. And then Uruguay would have uh, advanced. But at the end of the day, you can't take that away from South Korea. They went. All they had to do was get a win, and they got the job done. So uh, credit to them for sure. Yeah, and I uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Bruno Fernandes, who has been uh, Portugal's best player one of the players of the tournament as well, very much stood out to me throughout this entire group stage uh, situation. And then for, you know, you sh- you shouted out Granite Xhaka and Mbolo for Switzerland. I just want to go back to speak to Mbolo. I mean, I-, I also love his dribbling skills. He is very underrated as a dribbler. And I think if he puts together more goals, then he will definitely reach the star threshold of the type of player that he can, he can be. He definitely has a lot of potential to his game. And I think he's the player that Switzerland really have lacked in the past, right? It's the player that the United States is essentially missing. You can make yes. that argument, right? And that's kind of – we were making this joke yesterday that Switzerland is like the European – uh, version of the United States, but I think the difference is Mbolo is just by far the best striker out of either of the teams, and uh, it's going to be impressive. I want to talk about the bracket now, Lucas. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so going into this, right, I this, this bracket kind of, uh, the way it falls is really perfect on both sides, in my opinion. You have Netherlands against the USA and then Argentina against Australia, right? The winner of both of these games ends up playing each other. Japan plays Croatia and then Brazil plays South Korea. And then the winners of both of these ends up playing each other. So in the end, you could potentially have on one side Brazil and Argentina, which is something that we talked about in our World Cup preview. On this other side, which we kind of also predicted on our World Cup preview, 
France plays Poland and England plays Senegal. And then the winner of both plays each other. Right. And then Morocco and Spain play each other. And then Portugal and Switzerland play each other. And then the winner of those two games plays each other. So you could be looking at potentially. And I say say it, Nick, say it, Nick. You know what you're going to say. You could potentially be looking at a Messi versus Ronaldo (laughs) World Cup final. Which is amazing to me. I mean, listen, realistically, Lucas, Argentina Argentina has a great shot to make the semifinals. Agree with you. Brazil has a probably the easiest shot to make the semifinals out of all the teams. Lines up perfectly because they could end up playing Croatia or Japan. They beat South Korea. And in my opinion, I would bet the spread against either of them because uh, it's been very impressive to me how they've played. So Argentina, hey, never Brazil. doubt Youngmin Son. We right. are a we are a Youngmin Son stan fan club in this podcast. We stand Youngmin Son. Anti Tottenham pro Youngmin Son for sure. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I think you're you're absolutely right. South Korea is a great side. Japan also a great side, right? I would probably bet Japan over Croatia in my opinion. I know that you disagree with me, but I would bet that. France and England play each other. I think France is going to win ultimately, but either of those two teams is is basically guaranteed to make the semifinals. To me, yeah. at least, right? Yeah, yeah. And then this this last four, uh, I mean, any of these four teams can make it to the semifinals. In my opinion, I know I know that I like I want to say Portugal has the shot because honestly, on paper they're the most talented team, but. Uh, if you told me Morocco makes it to the semifinals, I'd believe you. If you told me Spain makes it, I'd believe you. If you told me Switzerland makes it, Lucas, I would believe you. And Dude, I mean, Switzerland beat Serbia today, who topped the group in the qualifiers with Portugal, and they beat Portugal. So, I mean, I, we said this before the game started, that whoever won the Switzerland and Serbia match, they have a very good chance at Portugal. I, I'm not going to go on and say that they're going to win, but it's going to be a lot more competitive than people think. Switzerland could also make it to the final because if they play France, they beat before Lucas, they beat in France. You could be looking at. Don't you say that. What's up? Don't you say that. It's not gonna happen. But if it happens, oh my god, I'm gonna go nuts. I'm gonna have a party. I'm gonna literally like everybody from everybody from every floor on this apartment building is gonna come over. <laughs> I I just think that there's so many possibilities here uh, to for a lot of this to shape out and we will we will meet essentially two two weeks from now right to to discuss the final uh mm-hmm. of the world cup and you know golden ball nominees and who the top scorer is going to be and who's playing in this final and then we'll talk about you know the club games that are going to go on following that but uh i think it's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out over the next two weeks in your opinion, I mean, we probably both agree Argentina-Brazil won semifinal, right? Yeah, 100%. Okay. okay. Uh, for the next semifinal bracket, who do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be France and Spain. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my opinion, but I can also see Portugal beating Spain. Uh, given how good Portugal had played against Uruguay defensively and offensively, uh, it's gonna. It could be Portugal uh, versus uh, France in the other semifinal. Yeah, I honestly think if you could persuade me of any of these four teams to yeah. make any of these four teams, I'm gonna just. I'm gonna just be a little different. I'll just say Morocco because why not? 
I like it. Okay. Why not have the first African team make it to the semifinals of the World Cup? I think that would be amazing for them. So uh, I'll root for that. All right. I like it. But, I mean, the thing that we're both rooting for, right? We're we're both rooting for Portugal versus Argentina. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Like that that is like the GOAT conversation is going to end with that. Yeah. That is going to be the decider of not just the 2022 World Cup. That is going to be the decider of who is the greatest player of all time. Yeah. Whoever wins it would be the GOAT. Easily, hands down. That's the one accomplishment both these teams are missing. So if it happens, that would be one, unbelievable. Two, so nerve-wracking for both sides, both Argentinians and Portuguese and Messi stands and Ronaldo fanboys. And also, it would be so rigged. Like, <laughs> right? like you can't write a better story than that. No, I favor I'd favor Argentina in that matchup, honestly, because I just think that Portugal have I mean they both lost already, but uh I think just I can't uh I mean I just favor Argentina more. They they're just they have a better coach. Uh they're they're more unified. You know, if Ronaldo win, wins it, though, I would not be surprised if he if he just retires at that point. Cause 100%. Cause like, what else does he have to prove? He has nothing else to prove. He, no, he, I wouldn't want to join any other team after I went through whatever I went through with United and I've won everything I I could possibly win. So, uh, at that point, if I'm Ronaldo, my brain is telling me France is going to make it to the finals. That's what my brain is telling me on the other side, it's going to be either Argentina or Brazil. Yeah, I think, yes, I, I see, I think France, Brazil is, is, uh, the most likely just based yeah. off the teams that how the teams have played so far, I think France Brazil is the most likely. Hundred percent, yeah. So uh, before we get into uh, any potential bets and stuff like that, I wanted to ask you what you think about the stoppage time rule, and then also uh, how they've incorporated the uh, technology with the offsides and the video assistant refereeing and FIFA. What do you think I, about both? I mean, I touched on the the VAR and the offside rule earlier, all the tech. Uh, and when I mentioned Japan with that line, I had brought up the new offside rule. But just to dive deeper into it, essentially what they have is a chip in the ball that is able to determine when the player kicks the ball. And from there, they, they're able to determine who is in an offside position. Again, they've made mistakes already. That is not 100% perfect. They've already made a mistake in the Argentina game. They've made a mistake in uh, some other games. But it's just, like I mentioned earlier, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, overall, I, I think it's good. It's good for the game. Like, guys are not able to determine. What I do think they need to do is have, like, a little, uh, let's say, three inches that there's that – it's not offside. The purpose of offside – it's to make sure that nobody is cherry picking. They're not significantly taking advantage of. If somebody's off by three inches, they're not really taking advantage of scoring a goal, you know? But I do like it. Again, step in the right direction. I absolutely love and hate the stoppage time rule. I love it as a fan. I hate it when my team is playing. Because today, there was 11 minutes in that Switzerland game. But yesterday, there's 10 minutes in another game, and it's just 
so much better because over the years, time wasting has gone to a whole new level. Celebrations are no longer, oh, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. They're like a minute long. They're a minute, 30 seconds long. Look at Cameroon today. The guy took off his shirt, then he had the red card, so they had to add more time. I love it. That's how it should be. Add the time that's truly wasted rather than just, oh, we don't know what it is, so let's just say three minutes. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I agree 100%. I think the stoppage time rule has been excellent. Uh, I heard Clint Dempsey say that he is not sure this was the time and place to implement it. Uh, I disagree. I don't think there's any right time or a wrong time to implement it. I think that for them to bring it out is like a great introduction, especially because it's the most up-to-date thing. Uh, also, the video assistant refereeing, I ha- I like it. I think I can't fault the technology for being as accurate as it is. I would be more in favor if rules being slightly rewritten based on the technology we have in place, especially for offsides. Uh, as an example, instead of the point of the attacker being just ahead slightly by the defender by millimeters, you yeah. should you should do by feet instead because it can be measured accurately now and you know you don't have to worry about having a left-leaning shoulder as an advantage i think if you should go that route essentially if you think the attacker should have the advantage which i believe in offsides i believe that should be the thing uh so as far as the technology goes i'm excited to see how they're going to implement it whether they're going to implement it in the future i think the stoppage time rule should definitely be implemented immediately for all leagues uh the offsides may cost way more and uh may cause adjustments needed for the stadiums itself and everything like that so i understand if that may take additional time well i also think that that would be necessary as well and i really like both honestly yeah yeah honestly great steps in the right direction for fifa altogether again it's not perfect but it's good it's what what's needed I agree. And Nick, I know you wanted to talk about your bets, but bro, I am not doing any bets whatsoever. I've been so cold. I do not give want to give the fans any of my bets because every single bet that I've bet on has lost. Like, at, except for maybe two. Every single one that I've bet on has lost. I'm going to take a break from this World Cup to not bet, and then I'll return after the New Year's and hopefully get some profit there and make everybody else some money too. I just wanted to put it out there, but I want to hear your bets. Okay. I'll take it. I just want to read the updated odds now uh, for the world cup 2022. Brazil is the favorite still at plus 200. Argentina is at plus 450. France at plus 500. Spain at plus 600. uh, And then England plus 800. Portugal plus 1200. Netherlands at plus 1,900, and then there's a large drop-off to Croatia at plus 3,200. And then it's your boys, Lucas, at plus 7,500. So I think the thing is there's only five teams that have previously won a World Cup before that uh, that are still in the tournament. There are 11 teams that have not, and I think it would be really cool if one of those 11 teams uh, were to go on to win it. So – there's like a lot of different odds here that I wanted to to look into, but uh, for a double chance for Brazil or Argentina to win, it's minus one fifteen. For Brazil or France, it's plus one hundred. You know the golden boot slash winner. You can bet France and Mbappe at plus a thousand, or Brazil and Mbappe at plus eleven hundred. 
Richarlson is also an option, and he's the second favorite. Or really? The third favorite, right? Brazil and Richarlson at plus 1,600. So, I mean, there's. Uh, I'll read you the, the, the Golden Boot odds right now, Lucas. Yeah, please do. Bobby, I wanna, before you do that, I want to give out what the Golden Boot is looking like right now. Because okay. uh, what they do is goals per 90. And essentially, right now, there's five guys that are tied for uh, first with three goals. Murata, Mbappe, Marcus Rashford, Cody Gakbo, and as we mentioned, Ender Valencia. But if you look at the goals per 90, Marcus Rashford is in first. Alvaro Murata is in uh, second with Marcus Rashford has 2.5 goals per 90. And Murata has 2.14. And then there's a huge drop-off, and then Mbappe. Uh, so that's how they determine it. I, I'm not sure if it's that or assists. I believe yeah. it's it's goals per minute. It's the fewest number of minutes to get the that amount of goals. But one thing to note, Gakpo has a total number of three shots, and he has three goals. Yeah. 100% goal conversion rate. That's insane. And I, it's so funny you mentioned this. So going into the odds for the Golden Boot, uh, Marcus Rashford, even though he's leading, he's plus 1,000, and Murata's is plus 1,200. And is actually the favorite right now, plus 250. Uh, Messi is the second favorite, but at plus 550. So people think that Mbappe is going to win the boot right now. And if you think about it, right, based on the bracket, they're going to play Poland, and then they play either England or Senegal. I I would expect them to score against Poland, in my honest opinion. Yep. Uh, I think, though, if Rashford ends up tied for first, he's for sure getting it because of the fact that he's been a sub off the bench uh, in two games, right? So I think his minutes per 90, even if he starts the rest of the tournament, he's going to always have that advantage uh, because he was a sub in the first two games. Yep. Richarlison is plus 1,000, uh, which is also a good value bet, I think. And then you have Giroud at plus 2,900, uh, which is insane. Ronaldo at plus 2,900. Bruno Fernandes at plus 3,400. Fran Torres at plus 3,400. And Bolo, plus 4,400. I mean, uh, there's a lot of these players that, that are have high up odds. And uh, it's very interesting to see. Youngman's son at plus 28,000, too. I mean, crazy to me. Yeah. The thing with that, though, is you you assume South Korea is going to lose to Brazil in the first round. So that's why you have to factor that in. The one that I really like, though, is the team that's going to have an easier run. Correct. It's the striker for that team at plus 1,000, Richarlison. Yes. That is brilliant, dude. He has two goals right now. So he's one goal behind Mbappe. Yes, Mbappe has Poland, but then he's potentially going to face uh, England. And then after that, he's going to face either Spain, Portugal, Morocco, Switzerland, whatever. So, like, I don't think Mbappe is a good bet. The value, and I think the player that's likely going to win the Golden Boot, uh, is going to be uh, Richarlison, dude. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I really like the—and I'm going to go over the Golden Ball, right? Who would you say is leading the Golden Ball race? Player of the tournament uh, so far. Bruno Fernandez. I agree. I agree. Okay. He is plus eighteen hundred. He is the third favorite right now, plus eighteen hundred right now. Uh, Messi is second at plus forty uh, four sixty, and then Mbappe is the favorite at plus three hundred. So imagine the drop off between Messi and Fernandez. I think Fernandez has played better than Messi. As crazy as that sounds, I think he's played better than Messi. Uh, yeah. Mbappe, 
and him, in my opinion, have been the the two best players of the tournament so far. Uh, I think, honestly, Lucas, it's so interesting to me. If Mbappe wins a second World Cup uh, and he goes on to continue to have the career that we think he's going to have, he may be looked at when all is said and done, if he continues this, this stride, he joins a bigger club in Paris Saint-Germain. He could be viewed as the greatest player ever at yeah. one point in his career, right? If he wins the golden ball and the golden boot in this tournament, which he's favorite to do so, and France wins, which they are the third favorite to do so. All these things are on the table right now as of uh, today for him. And the crazy part is I probably still don't even think he's the best player in the world right now. I think the best player in the world right now is at home in Norway. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I cannot wait to have arguments with my nephews about who the best player ever is because they're going to say Mbappe because they've seen Mbappe uh, winning the World Cup if he wins another one and scoring all these goals, yada, yada, yada. But they just don't know the impact that Messi and Ronaldo had. Like, they were just a whole nother, like, generation of quality. Uh, With that being said... This France side is going to be won and lost with uh, Mbappe, Griezmann, and Giroud. You have to give the shout-out to Giroud because he he's stepping in for Benzema. Had they had Benzema, I would say France is probably going to win the World Cup. But with Giroud, they still have a really, really good shot. One of the most underrated strikers of all time. Um, but the golden ball, 1,800 for Bruno Fernandes. If he makes it to the final... That is a great shout. But again, I, I'm not sure how they qualify the golden ball. Is it like goals and assists or is it quality of play? Like it's, it's votes. It's votes. That's why Messi won it that one year over uh, over James Rodriguez, right? Even though at the time, James had the more goals and assists than Messi, right? But yeah. Messi took his team to the final and therefore was uh, considered the player of the tournament because journalists voted him to, to be so. Yeah. I I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, we'll talk about legacy, I'm sure, in two weeks' time where we know who the fu- who's playing in the final. And I'm just so excited for it, Lucas. I can't wait to see who ends up playing. And I'm either going to be – I think it's going to be nerve-wracking if it's Portugal or Argentina. Absolutely. <laughs> like I said, it's going to be so nerve-wracking if that happens. Yeah, and, uh, and it'll be cool to see. But before we go, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Dude, what a pod. What a tournament. I have to say, I take back everything I said. Uh, When I said earlier, before the tournament started, that this is going to be one of the worst tournaments ever. The action, the excitement, the players on the field, they've made this one of the best tournaments ever in recent history. This is one of the most, uh, one one of the tournaments that has the most action. And really, uh, it's as a fan watching it, it is incredible. I would have to say this, and probably 2014 uh, would be up there as in, like, one of the best of all time. Like, that is really, really good. That's so interesting you say that because I think 2018 is the best World Cup of all time. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it had the most goals uh, on a per-game basis, the most upsets. Croatia goes to the final. Remember, Russia made it to the quarterfinals. They beat Spain. Uh, and then Croatia upsets England, right? And then so do you yeah. remember everyone screaming it's coming home, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so that France and Belgium, remember? I remember we were talking at the time before we even had the pod where both of you and I felt like the winner of this semifinal will win the tournament. 
And there was a, there was literally a moment where Belgium had a chance to win the World Cup, and now you look at them and you're just kind of uh, disappointed. Yeah, man, and it's so so crazy uh, to see how times change. But yeah, for me, 2018 was was amazing. Uh, goal of the tournament so far is Richarlison, right? That scissor kick. Yeah, that bicycle kick was unbelievable. But there have been a lot of bangers, dude. There have been some really class goals. No, the Mexico free kick was unbelievable against Saudi Arabia, dude. That was so, so, so sick. Uh, I don't think the goals will ever live up to the 2010 goals that we saw, though. Those 2010 goals with the Jabulani were just banger after banger after banger. It was so sick. The South Africa free kick, I remember. Uh, and in 2014, I remember the Hamas Rodriguez volley. Yeah. Where he turns around and he volleys it one time. That was insane. And then uh, David Luiz's free kick. Yes, David Luiz's free kick. And do you remember they had the the free kick, right? And then they also had the Richarlison goal. It's the same guy screaming in the in the camera, which is unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, I think for 20, 2018, my most favorite goal that I remember is Modric's goal against Argentina where he just bodies uh, bodies through someone and hits it and it flicks into the side netting uh, from outside the box. Just unreal goal. Uh, just uh, totally unbelievable tournaments year-round. I mean, I'm curious to see how it ends up playing out in Qatar. You know, we've seen a lot of people streaking too with the, the you know, gay pride flag, which uh, has been... So interesting to see what ends up happening with these uh, these people after the fact, because I haven't heard anything since. Uh, so, you know, incredible times. Uh, hopefully, you know, things will continue and we'll follow back with you guys in two weeks when we're at the final and we know who's playing who. And we'll have more stats on who's closest to winning the Golden Ball and also who wins the Golden Boot. So until then, we hope you guys enjoy the episode. We'll catch you in two weeks. Enjoy them suckers, boys.